You guys love Jesus? Give him a hand clap of praise. <laughs> um, this is my first opportunity to speak on a Sunday morning in front of a, um, in a church setting like this. And I'm, I'm very grateful to be able to speak to you guys. You know, Katie and I came here a few months ago. And it was a, a kind of hard transition for us, I guess. Leaving one family and coming to another one always is. And, and we grieved a little bit and we mourned. And, and we're just so very grateful to be here and, and, and happy to see what God's doing in the kingdom and here in this body. And um, we're just going to talk about love today. It, specifically, the second of the greatest two commandments. Does anybody know what that is? The second of... That's it. That's it. And, and so I, I was thinking about this song and how, how love can build a bridge and, and, it, and it starts with us. And, you know, love is a, a choice. And a lot of times when we see somebody who, who we should love on, we see a barrier there. And um, I was flipping through the channels one day. It seemed like it was a long time ago. And I stumbled on this saying that every barrier can be a bridge. And I thought about that a lot. And then I thought about that in reference to this song, and that Jesus took the barrier of sin and through his life made an eternal bridge for us to, to have a relationship with him and be reconciled to God for eternity. To know him and to love him and to know love and to love others and to have the, the strength and the power to move in that love when we choose to do it. it it's, it's part of repentance. It's part of turning from my selfish ways and, and choosing God's ways and God's love and you know, there's a worldly kind of love, and then there's a divine love, the agape love, that is charity and benevolence, and it's complete selflessness. Jesus said that the greatest love is that one would give his life for his friend. So that tells me the opposite of that is that I would, I would keep my life, and my time, and my money, or, or whatever possessions, and instead of giving my life. It's... Love is selflessness, and the opposite is, is selfishness. And so, just before we really get into this, um, I want us to all kind of understand that, that the word used in the command that you shall love the Lord your God, and you shall love your neighbor, neighbor as yourself, is agapo. It's a verb. It's a, it's a choice we have to make. This thing is a choice. It's a volitional um, option we have that we have to will to do it. Now, we don't have to do it on our own strength. But hopefully this message that God will give us some understanding of, of what it is we're trying to love. And move past the anger that, that we might have for other people. Because we don't understand. You know, a lot of people are, are just really hurting. And, and Mark talked about having a bucket of acid. And these people, the acid would splash over on people. You know, that, that's not meant to harm. That person is hurting. They're, they're filled with this hurt. And it's splashing over. But if, if we can look past that and understand that everybody is affected by sin and by the fall of man. And if we choose to love, God can build that bridge and, and, and punch those holes in the bottom of the bucket. So that ass can draw, drain out and that these people can come to know God. All right. Our scripture for today is Luke 10:25 through 37. If you want to turn there, that would be great. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. I'm going to read it on my phone. It helps my eyes a little bit better. Um, just a little background of the Good Samaritan. 
So the nation of Israel separated into Judah and Israel. Uh, around 722, the Assyrians came in for the, uh, to capture Israel. Kind of like the Babylonian captivity, except for Assyrians would move in and assimilate and, and kind of set up in that town. There's uh, historical finds of pottery and houses and, and, and things like that just as evidence that that's what they did. And they would um, make children, you know, with, with the Israelites and the Syrians. And so in Judah and, and full-blooded Israelites would call these people, especially Samaritans, uh, half-bloods, you know. They were despised. They were, they were shunned. They were, they were looked down on. And the story is set up, uh, a man is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and a couple other people are traveling in this area, and then the Samaritan comes through in a place where he's not liked. So let's get into the word. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Say it with me. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. Some say he was filled with compassion. Some translations. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after them, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And Jesus said, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Say that with me. Go and do likewise. You never know how dry a mouth can get to get up in front of people and speak. <clears throat> so we're going to take this scripture verse and put it into a, a more modern context. Um, let's say there's a man traveling from Houston to Mobile. In, in the Bible Belt. There's a man, Christian man traveling in the Bible Belt. And uh, he's going along and he follows among robbers. And they, they, they rob him. They beat him. They strip him of his clothes and they leave him half dead in this ditch. And along comes a, a Baptist evangelist. And he's on his way to a tent meeting. And he's going to, to preach on John 3.16. How, how God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to come out of heaven and to come into our mess. And he says, man, that guy has fallen into sin and the wrath of God. And we'll, we'll speculate a little bit further about what could have possibly been thinking. And so next along comes a, a, a small group leader on their way to go get supplies for communion. And they say, you know, I've got to get to my small group. I'll pray for that guy. Maybe somebody else will come by and help him out. And then finally along comes a, a member of the LGBT community in the Bible Belt. Despised and disliked and shunned. 
And he sees him and, and he says, man, I feel like that sometimes. Just left out in the, the cold, alone, and dying. And, and finds compassion. And there's a, a bit of empathy there. And he, and he has pity on him and he, and he goes to him. And maybe even has a thought of, if I put this dude in my car, he's going to stain up my fancy leather seats and my you know, $20,000, $30,000 car. But, but compassion moves him to take this man and he puts him in his car, takes him to the hospital where they're like, who's going to pay this guy's bills? You know, we've got to have some kind of name. This is a John Doe. He didn't even have any clothes on. And the member of the LGBT community gives them his own credit card and says, you know, I'll foot the bill, whatever it is. I just, I just want this guy to, to find healing, to be repaired, to get out of that cold, lonely, hopeless mess that he was stuck in. And so this is basically the story of the Good Samaritan translated into our culture right now, our, our historical context. It's really interesting to think about it. And Jesus said, Who, which of these three was the one that was being the neighbor? And then he tells us to go and do the same. In the church, I'm guilty of it. Coming out of uh, the background that I did even, and, and I'm going to share that with you so you guys know who I am. Uh, seeing people out there destroying their lives and thinking, man, y'all are messing up. There's something wrong with you. Or, or even seeing these people out here in sin and passing judgment. Yeah. First Corinthians chapter 5 Paul talks, there's a man who's uh, in sexual immorality in the church. This is the person in the church. And he says, we, we are to deal with those people in the church and hold people accountable, but not the people outside of the church. We're to love them and accept them. God will judge them. I mean, 1 Corinthians 5, uh, I think it's uh, 13 or 11 through 19, says that. God's their judge, not us. We're to keep one another accountable in here, but not the people outside of the world. So that's, that's one thing. Maybe, maybe we're walking along and we see somebody hurting. Unless we're in a downtown in some big city, we're not going to see somebody just beat up and bloody on the side of the road, right? But there's plenty of people around here that are hurting. Every, every life is touched by the fall. Every single life. I mean, in CR there are people that come in hurting. In here there are people that come in hurting. We... If we're out outside, we go to a drive-thru and they're snapping at us in the drive-thru, they're probably hurting. They're probably hopeless. They're frustrated. Their feelings are hurt. They're afraid. We've got to understand that. We've got to have some empathy. There's a proverb that says, the, uh, the, the one who has understanding is slow to anger. But we've got no reason to get mad at these people just because they snap at us. Get some understanding. Ask God, God, give me your eyes to see. I want to love, but I can't do it on my own. And that's right, we can't. We're not supposed to do it on our own power. Jesus says, come to me and take on my yoke. That means he gives us the strength. He, he pulls that plow, we just walk beside him. He gives us the spirit of power and love and a sound mind. The fruit of the spirit. Love. Peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Be grounded and rooted in love. Now, this is all... From the Spirit of God. And He wants us to be transformed and renewed and conformed into the image of the Son, which is the perfect image of the Father, which is the perfect image of God, which is love. The Bible says God is love. Now that's just a huge concept. I can't even wrap my mind around. God is love. And He wants us to choose that love and do that 
So bring it a little bit closer to home. Let's say we're, we're in a drive-thru and somebody snaps at us. We get our feelings hurt. And so we snap back. That wasn't choosing love. I've done that before. Or we're driving down the road. Somebody cuts us off and hangs a bird out the window. What do we want to do? I got one of those. I got two of those. You know, that's not choosing love. We're all guilty of thinking that way. And and there are even, say you work in Mobile. People walking down the streets. Homeless people. These people are hurt. They've got these wounds in their soul that have been festering and infected for years. And the answer is, is love building the bridge and coming into a relationship. See, God is, is a, a relation, relational God. Just the, the very, um, just looking at God, He's three in one. We will make man in our image. God is relational in Himself. He created us to be relational. In relationships, that's like the hardest thing to do when somebody's hurt and sit there and talk to them and listen to their stuff and not judge them, not try to fix them, but just build a relationship and care about them and love them. And there's, there's time for advice and counsel, but right now we're just going to choose to love. Yeah, God created man and he said it's not good for man to be alone. So he gave man a woman. And so the two were one flesh. And that it's just the, the model of the kingdom is relational. Families, the church, the body of Christ, we're to come together, we're to talk about our problems, we're to work through these things together and build relationships. Let's think of another instance. It, it, can any of you guys think of an instance when, let's say, um, you see somebody, God puts them on your heart. Go to that person and talk to them. Say, man, I'm in a hurry. I might be late for work. That ever happened to any of you guys? Happens to me. And so, so you drive down the road and say, God, send somebody else their way. I said that. Oh, I'm ten minutes down the road. I'm going to turn around now and go back. Y'all don't do that, huh? Yeah. Yeah, we all do that. It's choosing love. Sometimes it's a bit late. But... The Holy Spirit will speak to us and, and, and put people on our hearts. Um, I mean, low on gas. It's, it's, it's faith working through love. Say, well, what if this person is crazy? God, so, Holy Spirit says, go talk to this person. Pray with them. Take them out for lunch. Get them some coffee and a sandwich. What if this person's nuts? Faith working through love. They might be crazy. But if God is telling you to go, he'll protect you. And if it's your time to come home, it's your time to come home. It's as simple as that. Faith, faith working through love. We've we got to walk in this thing with faith and, and, and choose love. It's a choice. It's a verb. We have to do it. We have to set our feet to it and do it so that God can build that bridge. It's there. It's like the bridge is there. Jesus Christ has laid down his life. He... Through love, he's chosen to lay down his life. But he wants us to go and lead people to, to the entrance of that bridge. He wants us to come out of our comfort zone. There's a, um, the incarnation of Christ. I'm, I'm not going to get too far in this. But Jesus is God. And before he was in flesh, he was just the word up there in the Trinity. Hanging out with God in heaven where there's, you know, there's no pain and suffering. He came out of his comfort 
He chose love, came out of his comfort, down into this mess. Not just to party forever and get rich. He came to die and to suffer and to be persecuted at the hands of those he loved. He was murdered by the very people he came to save. We all have part in that. All of our sin had a part in that. So we are called to go out and do the same. The the scripture says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. First, we have to love God. In Matthew, uh, I think it's 22.39, Jesus said the second is like the first. The second is like the first because the second, mankind, is created in the image of the first. We are like the first. Whether you can see that all the time or not in people, it's true that all people, all of mankind, are created in the image of God. We have to know that in ourselves and love ourselves. You have to know that you have value. That God loves you. That's so important. That God has a purpose. But beside that, we have to know that God loves us and accepts us right where we're at. You know, one of my biggest problems when I was out there in the world was that I, I felt very unloved. Unaccepted. And I thought that, you know, I claimed there was no God. And at the same time, I'd shake my fist at, at heaven and, you know, let out some swear words. But I saw God as this uh, puppet master that just wanted to punish me I really saw it like that that I if I don't do right I'm going to hell and I'm telling you what I could not do right there's a bunch of us who just cannot do right on our own power I'm one of them yeah and and it's a a good place to be blessed are those who are poor in spirit every day every day but we have to know that God loves us and accepts us Right where we are at. Right in our mess. He don't want to leave us there. He wants to change us. We have to put the, put the foot forward and walk as he directs. But he loves us very, 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 very much. So, I've got some statistics here. On um, people out there that are hurting. I, got, I had a whole bunch of them. I, just, I, get over, I really like statistics. I, I like... Seeing the percentages of stuff and kind of wrapping my mind around that. I don't know if you guys dig it as much. I hope y'all aren't asleep by the time I get done with this part. But it's just, as I was looking at this, everybody is affected by this. Everybody in this room even and out there has been touched and affected by the fall in some kind of deep way. And carrying around hurts. And without that relationship, that bond with God and with each other... We can't isolate. It's, there's not going to be enough healing in isolation. We've got to work through it with another person. That's why God gave us each other. But some of the stats. According to Nebraska Department of Veteran Affairs in 2007, this was 2007, uh, 7.8% of Americans will experience PTSD at some point in their lives. With women, 10.4%. Uh, twice as likely as men at 5% develop PTSD. About 3.6% of U.S. adults aged 18 to 54 have PTSD during the course of a year. That's 5.2 million people. That's a lot of people. Now, I don't think that this is just tied to soldiers. It is the, uh, the Veteran Affairs Department. But a tragic event can cause PTSD. 
and a lot of us go through that constantly. If you watch the news every day, you might have PTSD. I mean, it's horrible. It's bad out there. It's scary. So some of the symptoms include nightmares, flashbacks, avoidance of situations that bring back the trauma, heightened reactivity to stimuli, anxiety, depressed mood. I'm going to stop on anxiety for a minute. I've heard people say that they think it's a sin to have anxiety. The world we live in right now is full of stuff constantly going on all the time. That sensation of anxiety we get because we've got this and this and our cell phone's going and our computer's going business, that, that's not worry. That's, um, that's just us stepping into a new age. Back to this. The symptoms of PTSD. Behavioral symptoms are agitation, irritability, hostility, hypervigilance, self-destructive behavior, social isolation, flashback, fear, severe anxiety, mistrust, Lost of interest or pleasure in activities, guilt, loneliness, insomnia, nightmares, emotional detachment, or unwanted thoughts. Sounds a lot like a drug addict to me. I, I was one of those. I, I was very much, I look back at my childhood and I had PTSD. I, I think a, a lot of people do and don't realize that that's what it is. And the answer is a relationship with God and others to work through it. Because a lot of us will shut down and we'll look for relationships in chemicals, work, pornography, sex, numerous other things that we will pull up into ourselves and into our lives to take that place of relationship with other people and with God. Okay, divorce. I, I think just about everybody in America has been affected by divorce. I have. I, I, I grew up in a, in a divorced home. Um, 40 or 50% of married couples in the United States divorce. The divorce rate for subsequent, second, third, and etc. marriages is even higher. And from the statistics, this affects the children's intimate relationships. So, this is not judgment. This is not condemnation. I'm not trying to put anybody down. I'm just saying the reality of it is that everybody is affected by this. And the fact that it, it hurts relationships. You know, when we are hurt in a relationship, our instinct is to recoil and to not go back to that. It's like a, it's like a burner. If you set your hand on that burner and burn yourself, every time you go by that burner, you're like, oh, that's going to hurt again. It's not necessarily unforgiveness all the time. It's just the way we're designed to protect ourselves. So a relationship hurts us real bad, especially at a young, young age. And we suffer through that all of our lives. But there can be healing. That's the good news. Love can build a bridge to God and God can give us the strength and power to be healed. I'm living proof of that. My wife, too. I'm going to share that in a little bit. Um... Substance abuse. Uh, 20.5 million Americans, 12 and older, had a substance abuse problem. 2 million related to prescription drugs, 600,000 heroin. Um, between 1999 and 2010, the amount of overdose deaths had increased by more than 400% among women and 279% among men. That's a huge leap. Um, 64,000 people died in 2016 from drug overdose. 52,000 in 2015. 
it's it's bad, and, and people are hurting. I just, I just really want to drive it home that this stuff is really widespread. It's, it's everywhere. Are you guys still with me? Do you guys, do any of you guys know somebody that suffers from some of this stuff? Suicide and depression. There's uh, 121 suicides per day. White males account for 7 to 10 of these deaths. Ages 45 to 64 years in age. Every 98 seconds, someone in the U.S. is sexually assaulted. Now, there was a study done with 27,715 transgender people by the National Center for Transgender Equality in 2016. They found that 64% of the participants had been victims of sexual abuse. Go figure. People are hurting. People, people don't know who they are. We're created in the image of God, but we're born, I heard this quote somewhere, we're born walking into the dark. And it's like God's behind us saying, you know, I'm back here in the light, I love you. Turn around. Just turn around, I'm back here, you're hurting yourself so bad. I'm here, I love you, you're hurting yourself so bad. And we, as the church, as the body of Christ, have to choose to love and say, this is where God is. Unfortunately, our judgment pushes them further into the darkness. It hurts people more. You know, there's a scripture that says, um, if your brother sins against you, then go to him. And then it says, it would be better if a millstone were hung around a person's neck than to make one of these little ones lose faith. That's what the God's Word translation says. When a person first comes into the church and they're messed up and jacked up and they don't know how to talk, they don't know how to act, and, and we judge them and say, you don't need to be acting like that. Don't you know where you are? You're part of the, the Christian club. I've seen people fly out those doors and never come back. It's horrible. It's horrible. That's not love. And we, we have to choose love. We have to repent from those ways and turn towards God. It's as simple as that. God calls us to repent. Metanona is the word. A change of mind. The Old Testament word is shub. It's to actually about face. So we're turning our minds, turning our bodies, walking from our ways, walking towards God. People ask me where I get these big words from. I have an app on my phone. Y'all can have it too. I'll tell you where it's at. I've got some stats here on fatherless homes. Uh, 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes, according to the U.S. Department of Health and Census. 43% of of children in the U.S. live without their father. 90% 90% of homeless runaway children are from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists motivi- motivated with displaced anger come from fatherless homes. 71% of teenagers lack a father. A pregnant teenagers lack a father. 85% of children who exhibit behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 90% of adolescent repeat ar- arsonists live with only their mother. 71% of high school dropouts fatherless homes. 75% of adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers, fatherless homes. 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions, no father. 80% of youths in prisons grow up in a fatherless home. Fatherless boys and girls are twice as likely to drop out of high school, twice as likely to end up in jail, four times as likely to need help for emotional or behavioral problems. They don't know who they are. I don't know if any of you guys grew up in a fatherless home, but I did, and I didn't know who I was. I searched for my identity in, in, in older kids. And anybody who would take me in, and I didn't find it. 
On the TV is where a lot of kids are getting it now. The radio. I tried there too. It's an it's a image thing. Who am I? Am I worthy of love? What do I have to do to earn love? And it's, it's just rampant. It's everywhere in our society. These people, I think the statistics are actually getting better as far as fatherless homes. But we've got a whole generation of, of people, the millennials, that they were, they were raised in these homes without fathers. And, and, and they need that love. They need that affirmation, you know, the, the fatherly affirmation. They need to be led to the bridge to know their heavenly father. They will never leave or never forsake. That loves forever. His loving kindness is just amazing. It, it just breaks my heart. <clears throat> mental illness. According to Newsweek, one in five Americans suffer from mental illness. That's 42.5 million Americans, or 18.2% of adults, suffer from mental illness each year. So, think about these statistics. That's a, that's a good portion of Americans. And think about what they're going through on the inside and how that affects everybody who they come in contact with every day. And they say it takes two to tango, but it only takes one to make peace. We have to be that one that chooses to lay our lives on the line and, and offer peace. Will you guys make that choice? Are you, are you willing to, to get out of your comfort zone? I want you to really search your heart right now. Are you willing to, when somebody cusses you out, say, hey man, you look like you're having a hard day. It's as easy as that. When somebody just really lays into you and rips you on the things that you're real insecure about, will you choose to forgive them and say, I love you? Well, you want to talk about what's really going on? Because there's something that's really going on. Can, can I get you something to eat? How about coffee? You don't like food or coffee? How about water? You know? Have a light heart about it. People are hurting. The Bible says that we're comforted and that we should go and comfort others. It's easy to do. Choose it and God will supply the strength and the power. I'm going to share a little bit about myself and my story. Um... Love is something I can talk about for a very long time, and I know you guys have lunch after this. I was born in Mississippi. My name's Charlie Lemon, by the way. I think John introduced me. I was born in Mississippi. My first memory was at the age of two, and it was a tornado. I remember looking out the basement window and seeing this tornado rip up a huge tree and lay it over on a car, and my mom yelled at me. And, and, and every time I tell my story, I, I remember that because it's what my life became. It was chaos. I was raised in a violent, alcoholic home. Full of chaos. I mean, um, memories of, of my mom getting hit and beat up. Now, I, I'm not a victim anymore. It's important to know that, that I'm not a victim. I love my mom and my dad. And I have a, a good relationship with both of them now. I, just as I was raised in it, other people are raised in it too. And it just carries on generation to generation to generation until somebody reaches out and says, Hey, you know, I love you. God loves you. You don't, you don't have to straighten up to come to God. You can come to Him hurting and broken. You know, they say there's no atheist in a foxhole. That's because we're all crying out when we're dying, when we're hopeless. When, when we're just so utterly in despair, whether we know there's a God or not. 
said, God, please help me. I'm not going to go to that building. God, please help me. Things are changing, though. That's a huge plus. We're moving forward. There's hope. Anyways, my dad left at about the age of four. I I remember being really filled with fear. My my mom was gone a lot. Um, Abandonment issues. I wasn't really angry yet. I I didn't feel accepted. I was kind of um, avoidant behavior as far as developing relationships and stuff. At the age of 10, I started smoking marijuana. 11, I started sniffing Ritalin and pills like that from across the street. 12, cocaine. I became very suicidal at that age, preteen. Very, I just wanted to die. I, wanted to, I was just crying all the time. I remember I had a, a friend who I, um, I used to dress kind of colorful. And I had like a yellow sock and a pink sock. It was supposed to be red, but it was faded. And I had this, this uh, girl named Melissa Leitz. She said, I like your socks. And we became friends. And we would talk on the phone, and, and she, would, she would tell you, I would just cry how horrible everything is, and I was a victim, and I was hurting. And she would, she would tell me, she prays to God. And I said, okay, that's cool. And she said, I talked to God, and he told me that you're going to be okay. And I said, you're crazy, but you're my friend, you know. You, you, you talk to me. We've got a, a relationship here. We're friends. Anyways, I, I was searching for that male role model, personally. I, I was looking for a dad, for a father. And, and I found it in the older kids that would take me in. I was um, charismatic. I was good at hustling. Started selling drugs. That gave me a whole new thing. At the age of 13, I was selling LSD at school and marijuana anywhere else. And, and it gave me a whole new um, feeling of acceptance. I felt needed. People, people really liked me, I thought. Of course, they just really wanted what I had. It, it was really just emptiness. There was nothing fulfilling there. And, and I was using drugs to cover... My own shame and hurt. And, and I, I remember um, we had an old Ford pickup truck. It seemed like I had a hole in the muffler. And my mom used to drop me off at school. I'm like, Mom, can't you just drop me off down the road? Now, I love that Ford pickup truck now. Like, I would love to have one. But I was just so ashamed. I wasn't secure in who I was. I didn't know who I was. I had never really experienced lo- My mom loved me. She loves me. My mom's great. She did a really good job with what she had. Our, our home was not a... a home with a biblical worldview. I was taught, now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Had no idea what any of that meant. I said it at night. You know, oh God, I hope I don't die tonight. So there was a, a feeling of, of, of uh, yeah, I think we're all born with it, you know, knowing that there's God. I think it's all uh, imputed into us. Anyways, about the age of 14, my mom caught me selling LSD, and I had a lot of it, and took us away to Atlanta. She was afraid I was going to get locked up or beat up or, or whatever. And um, up there, got into more relationships. You know, of, of all the sin that I have um, practiced, the, the sexual sins are the most haunting. They really are. It's, uh, it, it's like the Bible says, it's a sin we do unto ourselves. It's very dangerous. But anyways, moving past that, I stopped going to school up there. I did not like Georgia schools. I, I, I fit in even less up there than I did down here in Fairhope. And came back down to live with my dad at the age of 16. Worked, bought a car, and I, I really got into drugs heavy at that time. It just pills, blacking out, drinking, sneaking out every night, and... Um, it was a rough relationship with my dad. It, it wasn't as rough as I remember when I was a young child. 
but it was still alcoholism, and um, I still was just not accepted for who I was at all. I uh, ran away, and at that time I was on probation. Something happened where I got in trouble. They put me in a boys and girls home. I broke out of the boys and girls home. And at, at, the, not to mention, at this time is when I met Katie in high school. I remember she came up to me on a bus smiling, and, and Katie was an active addict at, at that age too. And I remember these real big pretty eyes and a smile full of braces, and then she handed me some pills. And I was like, well, cool. Anyways, I, I was in this boys and girls home and, and ran away, and I just kept trying to run away and get away, and um, ended up in a couple of boot camps. So just about all my teenage years were spent in and out of juvenile detention centers, boot camps, and group homes. At the age of 17, I was in a group home for about a year when I, um, I had already completed the program, and I, I didn't have any way out because I'd already completed the program. I had to do something to, to show progress. And they said, well, if you join the Navy, then we'll let you out. So I said, cool, let me, let me in there. I'm ready to get out of this joint. I took the ASVAB and was all signed up to go in, and I had to go to Job Corps. In Job Corps, I had to get some credits because I have GED. And oh, I'm sorry. I got out of Job Corps, and they sent me a check, a $700 check in the mail. That's what I did. I went and bought a bunch of drugs and started selling drugs again. Back, back into the acceptance thing. It's like a power thing. It's like I, I, I was in control a little bit of something. I had to have some sense of grip on it. And, but I was never really successful at it at all. I mean, I always had something, but I would do it more than I would sell it. Anyways, I, I got into meth real, real bad, which is a, a, a hellacious drug. I mean, uh, hallucinations and uh, sleeplessness and insanity, just magnitudes of insanity. And I got into pills and all this stuff. And right before I was supposed to ship out at 9-11, I got a, uh, after 9-11, my recruiter called and said, are you ready to ship out? And I said, well, give me just a little while to clean up my act. I said, okay. I wasn't going to clean up my act. I was going to go party. And I did. And I stole my neighbor's car and uh, wound up in jail. So that was, that was big boy jail. Up, up in Georgia. It's been about six months in there. And, you know, nothing. I went to church and stuff, and nothing was really happening. I, I remember at one time as a juvenile, I went to church, and I went forward, and I, I said the prayer and everything, but I, I quickly rejected it after something that the preacher said. A- anyways, um, I got out of jail and was going on about my life awaiting trial, and I had this crazy thought, the craziest thought I'd ever had in my life. It was preach. I thought, that's just weird, man. I must have really done some good stuff. And, and, and it just kept on. Preach. Preach. And I'm thinking, what is this weird thought I'm having? And, and I remember looking up at the sky and saying, God, I don't know if you're real. And if you are, I know you don't want me. You know, I'm thinking, nobody wants me. I'm just a mess. A hopeless, broken, desperate, full of despair, crying mess. Crying mess. But he did. And he does. He wants us all. Anyway, three days later, I had this dream. And I was in this building. Just It was like a hospital building in this dream. And there was no, no roof. And I was laying in a hospital bed like hurting. And this angel came down in my dream and asked me, he said, do you want to be free of this hurt and the pain and the hopelessness? And I said, more than anything. More than anything, I want to be free of this stuff. And she said, 
She said, hold my hand. You're going to want to hold my hand because this is going to hurt. And I said, I got this. Anybody who's been through the 12 steps knows about that. I got this stuff. Yeah, I got this. I got the power. I can do it. I'm going to do it on my own. I don't need you. Anyways, the sky turned to fire and I heard on the inside. And as soon as I reached out for her hand, it's like I reached out and I was like, I can't do it. It's, I woke up and I was free. This is at the age of 19. And there was like three months there and I just kept on having this urge to get a Bible. And I'd look around and I couldn't find one anywhere. You know, I, didn't, I wasn't really committed or else I would have found one. But I, I would look around everywhere, everywhere for a Bible in the house. And I, I quit smoking cigarettes there. It was like three months. Quit quit doing drugs i had like a sense of joy that i didn't know for the next you know until about four years ago and i, I went back into it and, and it got real real bad real dark i was uh, completely self-destructive to the point of taking as many pills as i had to try to kill myself as easy as possible and then i didn't want to hurt you know I'm, i was afraid to live and afraid to die just full of fear i, I didn't really know love I had a sense of wanting to help people and wanting to care about people, but I was just so... I had no truth. There was no truth. It was all just just lies. I thought love was a feeling, which is not. There might be a feeling with that, but but love is not a feeling. Love is a, love is a thing. And love is a choice, and it's something that is done. Anyways, um, went on it. Back and forth all around. I, I ended up on probation there, first offenders, which got rid of all the, the felony charges. So it's, I'm not a convicted felon, praise God. And uh, went around all the southeast racking up court cases everywhere I went because you know, I was to get drunk and get crazy. And, and so I kept jumping state to state to try to get out of, you know, oh, I'm in trouble here. I better go to another one. I better go to another one. And about the age of 27, I was working in a bar and Douglasville, Georgia, it's about 30 miles outside of Atlanta. His name was Gibson's. And they give you a shift drink after work. And I used to just get, I'd get wasted up there. And I, by this time, I was, I was uh, smoking crack, shooting cocaine and heroin, shooting methamphetamines. I had got heavy on the needle, but I was trying to put it down. I, w- I would try constantly to put it down. And so I'd get off work and I'd say, I'm not going to have that shift drink. And I'd say, I'm just going to have that shift drink. And before I know it, I'm getting kicked out the back door, coming back in the front, and then going down to the dope man's house to get some whatever. I'd shoot it in my vein. I'd stay up for days, shoot some other stuff to come down. I, I'm, I'm surprised I didn't die. I, I believe that it's only God's grace and purpose for my life that I'm not dead right now. I, I, I was trying to kill myself. I didn't care. I didn't care at all. I didn't care about anything. I didn't didn't want to I didn't want to hurt my mom. By the way, I'm, I feel very bad for all the pain I put my mom through. <clears throat> Age of twenty seven, I, I took a syringe and I filled it with air and I thought for sure this will do it. This will this will end it for me. And I shot it in my vein and I I blacked out and I woke up the next morning. I've been studying about that. I don't know if that would really kill a person. It'd have to be a considerable amount of air, but. I was that committed at that time. And I woke up and God used it. I woke up and I said, well, there must be a God and he must have a purpose for my life. So I got my backpack and I got my guitar. And I found a ride out west and I went all around, followed the the dead around further or whatever. And I just was like soul searching. 
And I remember being really quiet during that time. I was still drinking and using whatever came around, but I was trying hard to stay away from the needle and the hard, hard stuff. I went up to Vermont. That's where I ended up at, where I would try to quit drinking, and I would quit for a little while and get back into it, and quit for a little while, and stress would hit. I would have no way of coping with stress. I didn't have anywhere to put faith at or hope at, and it was all in myself, and I couldn't handle it, and so I had to have some way to cope. I was afraid. I was very afraid. And I was still angry. I was angry at everybody who had hurt me, and then that, those old wounds in me created even more wounds, and I would splash over into other people, and, and I, I, would, I would get it was just violent. And I'm not a, really a violent person, but I would do things that were just really out of character in me. I was under the sway of Satan, blinded. Came back down from Vermont to pay off. So my probation in Georgia ended. I came back down here to pay off some um, warrants I had for DUI. Paid them off, about three grand. Got out of town because I thought, oh, if I stay in Alabama, I'm for sure going to go back to jail. And I had to come back here to take the DUI classes. And I got here, I started drinking. I started um, back on the pills heavy, uh, filling forged prescriptions, just really, really stupid stuff is what it was. It didn't care. Um, started dating Katie, and we hit it off. We were both in addiction, and there's a saying, you get two addicts together, they might as well bring their suitcases because they're moving in, or something like that. It goes something like that. Anyways, we were both really lost in addiction, and we were in love. And if, for what we understood a new love to be, we were really broken. We were really broken, and, and we, were, we needed each other at that point, I think. It wasn't like a, I'm going to give myself and care for you, and, and I, I am my, my own person on my own. But it was, you are helping to make me complete. It's a, it's a very worldly view of love. She started... Taking me to church after I got another DUI. This is very, very embarrassing. I feel like I shared it in my underwear with a bottle of wine in my lap. And a loaded thirty thirty next to me going to get some money that somebody owed me. It's very embarrassing. Uh, she started taking me to church where I would sit on the back row and I would cry my eyes out. I had no idea why. I wouldn't really hear the message. I would just cry and cry and cry and hurt and hurt and hurt. And we leave. And I was high like every time. And... One Sunday, Susan and Katie, were, we were all there at uh, Loxley Church of God. Pastor Herman Knapp, who passed away in a four-wheeler accident, was the uh, pastor there. And at the end of it, I think it was the end of it, said, does anybody need prayer? And it said, if you do, raise your hand. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll do that. And then we could see him. He stand up. And I was like, oh, man. And then it's like, if you need prayer, step out and come forward. And I was like, I'm not about to take that step out there. People will laugh at me. They'll think I'm silly or whatever. You know, all the stuff that runs through your mind at that moment. Oh, I, I really need prayer. I, I really need my brother or sister to pray for me in this setting. I really need some help, but I'm, my ego is not going to let me do it. The shame in me is not going to let me do it. Anyways, all I had to do was make that choice. And it's like I stepped and God's grace just carried me up there where I was saying a prayer to a God I did not know or understand. I just knew that... I needed help. I, I loved Katie and Zeta, and I wanted badly to take care of them, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't even hold down a job, job long enough to just provide for the drugs that we needed to stay not sick. It was bad. It was really bad. Anyways, so we started it out. It, it, it wasn't like I was dinged at all. I, I think I experienced that a little bit, and I was like a little kid with a cool glass ball. I shook it around and smashed it. But... 
I wanted to do this thing, and I, and I shared with Katie about feeling like God wanted me to be a preacher. And, and I want you to just picture this. Two drug addicts living, and I, I was like in a camper and for a little while, and then in my cousin's dope house. And, and I'm like, I think God wants me to be a preacher. You know what I mean? Just imagine that. It was crazy. And I was like, this is nuts. You know, everything in my flesh was like, this is, no, you're not going to do that. But, but I was like, God wants this to happen. I really believe that God wants this to happen. And so we started this journey, and we would argue all the time. And at uh, Family Harvest, Pastor Mark Parsons preached this message about David crying out before God. And just bearing his heart and just crying out. And I remember going out to the, to the kudzu field out back, and I just raised my hand, and I said, God, help me! And I was like, oh, well, nothing happened. <laughs> yeah. And about a week later, I, I was arrested. I was going to fill one more forced prescription. We were gonna, I said, this will be the last one. It will be the money we need to get Zeta into baton classes. And school was starting. And in my gut, I knew it wasn't going to work. I just knew it. I knew I was going to jail that day. But I was, I was, we're going to do it. This is, this is what we've got to do. We're going to do it. And up there at the drugstore, the police walked in, and I saw them. Coming down the aisle, and I went, you know, trying to. And he's like, "Mr. Lemon, you're not going to get away." I said, "Okay." I was, I was like, 135 pounds, some old holy DC shoes, a white dirty Playboy hat. I mean, I was a mess. You, you would, you probably wouldn't recognize me if, if you'd see me then and now. That made it so I could get into a drug treatment center. I didn't know anything about 12 steps and that people could get so get cleaned up from drugs. All I knew was that I was a mess and I was going to stay that way all my life. That's what I'd always been told. People don't change. People don't change. You're stuck there. You're not going to change. You're stuck there. So I couldn't stop. Even on color code and and the beginning of drug court, I could not stop. I got into uh, the shoulder treatment center, which I, I love our drug treatment centers. Any drug treatment center is a good place where a person can find a sanctuary away from the mess of life that is surrounded by all that. We've got to go back out into it sometime. 30 days into my treatment center, Katie got into a treatment center that was just so I, I got out right, at the, right before she did. We had a place like a week before. We prayed for a three-bedroom place. God answered that prayer. We had cars break down, break down, break down, break down. People gave us a car. I mean, we've had so much given to us. And what is God's opening these doors. And he's like, walk through it. Now, okay, I'll walk through it. Here's another one, walk through it. Okay, and then there's like a couple of them. Like, which one do I walk through? I don't know. You know, and, and just learning to hear his voice, learning to get in his word. This, this is so important. This is where the truth is. It's like, um, it's like if I were to tell you how to put together a small engine, and you have no idea about a small engine, I say, well, get the piston rod and the valves and stuff, but you've never even read a book about it, you've never seen pictures, then you're not going to know what I'm talking about. But if you've read the manual, and I say, get the valve, get the lifters, the rocker arms, say, okay, I'm going to get those. I know what that is because I've read the manual. I've never done that. I've never done this, but I've, I've read the book. I, I, I know how to hear your voice. And it, and it takes a lot of trial and error. It takes a lot of mistakes. It takes a lot of bumping your head. And that's okay. God, God comes through. 
So here we are now at, at Freedom. I've, uh, God told me to go to school. I'm a senior at Liberty University studying for religion. Uh, Tony said I'm really smart. I pray a lot. I ask for wisdom a lot. My, my senior year, I, I stayed like with my forehead on the floor like this. I mean, not my senior my freshman year. I, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but, but he does. He, and and I, I know to rely on him. I know that in him is the strength. And I know that people can change. And I know there's hope for those people out there walking around with a bucket of acid, throwing it on people. I mean, I would, I would drink the acid and spit it on everybody around me. And, and God changed me. God changed me. Katie was in the ditch with me. She had, to, she had to bring me to Christ. She was my Andrew. We were both in the ditch and we both brought each other out. Like we, well, I had one good leg and she had one good arm and we did like this until we could get to, the, get to the emergency room. But we made it. You know, by God's grace and power, we, we are... God is good. He is so, so very good. And he calls us from that ditch. I'm willing to bet that everybody in this room just about has been down in that ditch in some way or form. Or is down in that ditch right now. Suffering. Hopeless. No, no light at the tunnel. Just dirt. Just dirt and mud and hopelessness and despair. And that's okay. God loves you right there. And so do we. But God calls us out of that ditch and says, go. And even if they don't like you, even if you're in a place where you're despised, go. And choose to love. Will you choose to love? Will you choose to bring people to that bridge? Jesus Christ built the bridge. He is the bridge. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And by the power of His blood, there's forgiveness of sins and there's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When we turn from our ways and turn to His ways, and everything, just bam. God, tell me what to do. Show me the doors to walk through. Show me who to love. And listen. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. He'll speak to us. He, he tells us amazing things. That, I'm going to give one short story. There's a... Um, a young man's phone number was given to me. I'm very open with my testimony. Very, very, very open. If you want to hear more, please come to me. I'll tell you more about it. Uh, this young man's number was given to me. and said he was struggling. So I had his number, and one day I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, you need to call him. And I just hear his name sounding off in my head. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm really busy right now. We're getting ready for children's church at Family Harvest and had all this stuff going on. I said, okay, I'm going to call him. I, I took my phone, and I, I went, and I sat down, and I called him. I said, hey man, uh, how you doing? And he just told me about how hopeless everything was, how his girlfriend was gone, and his kid was taken away, and he lost his job, and he was just hopeless. And so I didn't you know, really know the, the depth of the situation, but I started sharing some hope with him and some encouragement and saying, you know, I've been there, man. I've, I've, I've been there, and, and I've tried to take my life uh, multiple times, and, and I wanted to die, and I just, I know what it's like, man, but there's hope. There's a way. Put faith in God. You know, and, I, and I shared what was on my heart. turned out that this man, I don't know if his car had broke down or he pulled over for some reason, at that moment was on his way to commit suicide. 
He was en route to go kill himself. He had it all picked out. And God was saying, choose to love. And watch me save a life through you. And there's, there's another instance. Went fishing with Zeta Fe, And there was a man down there that was, had three boys. And the Holy Spirit said, talk to this guy. I don't want to. I'm not feeling like it. I just want to fish today. And so I finally did. And we talked. And his youngest son fell in the water, almost drowned. And I gave him my phone number and invited him to the house. A week later on Thursday, he calls. And I don't get the phone in time. It's midnight. But he leaves a voicemail. And in the voicemail, he's crying. He says, I, I just don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do. So he had been sharing with me about his divorce. Then, and I shared about him with the love and compassion of God. And that's when his son fell and started drowning. And he said, I don't know what to do, but you were so kind. You were just so kind. I don't know what to do. So I, I fell to my knees and I started praying. And I believe God did something in that moment. In the, the midnight hour, through the, the prayers of, of faith and love, that God broke something free. And he, he called me later on because he wouldn't answer the phone when I tried to call back. He said he, he went to jump and a, and a cop snatched him off the bridge over in Mobile. He was about to commit suicide. And... He went walking through Mobile and he said, I felt this sensation that I've never felt before. And I was walking around and I said, man, that's God. That's the Spirit of God on you. And he said, man, I, I know it. And, I'm, and I'm, I believe now, you know, and all this really cool stuff. And his family was reconciled. His, his children and everything. I, they've had some struggles since then and, and I hope they're doing good now. But, but through choosing to love... Even through a prayer in the middle of the night. God can wake us up in the middle of the night and put somebody on our heart. Or have somebody call us and pray. And God will do amazing things. God says, ask and you shall receive. Knock and it shall be opened. He's, he's just waiting for us to come in agreement with Him. How can two walk together unless they're in agreement with one another? And He works through us. But we have to choose to love. We have to choose to come out of our own comfortable situation. And choose to love. I'm asking you, will you choose to love? Will you choose love? I want to uh, ask this small group leaders to kind of position yourself around the room in just a second. We're going to have a, a bit of a response time for prayer. And uh, I know this is kind of a rigid transition, but I just want to open everybody up for prayer. And, and if, if you have somebody in this room on your heart, go to them during this time. Tony, will you come up and um, play Love Can Build a Bridge? Thanks. Just just right now, ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. Who should you talk to? If you need prayer for yourself, do that. Small group leaders, will you just position yourself around the room, if you're small group, just around the sides and the front, and, and just be open to people coming. And gladly walk.